On this episode of the Bitcoin Beat, we have another jam session, and boy, there is a lot to talk about. We dig into the bank runs on Silvergate and Silicon Valley Bank. First, we touch on the recent CPI numbers, Jerome Powell's Senate Banking Committee hearing, the hawkish Fed, and how this may have played a role. We then focus in on CBDCs and stablecoins, their role in the overall ecosystem, and how they may develop in the future. We then bounce to regulation, discussing the Grayscale lawsuit and the possible lawsuits coming down the pipe on Coinbase, Kraken, and Robinhood. Finally, we wrap with the proposed tax on Bitcoin mining energy usage and how this could set a broader legal precedent. We hope you enjoy this one. Reach out to us on Twitter at SureSats or on our website, SureSats.com. So I think I just want to start this one off by saying I have never felt more comfortable holding a very large portion of my net assets in Bitcoin and cold storage. <laughs> yeah. Feels okay being in spot. I'll start this with actually coming back at you for that one okay. because today we're recording day after Silver, well, Silvergate and Silicon Valley Bank. We're going to confuse those two yeah, the throughout whole this whole episode because both of them are just imploded us. after bank runs. But I think, you know, the US dollar price of Bitcoin will be affected massively oh, for, for by sure. both of these. For sure. Yeah. So um, if you're if you're holding your net worth for the long run in that asset, I think we're we're good and it's comfy. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, things are kind of hectic. A lot of a lot has happened since we last recorded. I didn't, you know, it was it was slow and then everything all at once. Yeah, I mean, I I think we've been like this entire bear market from November until now. It's been, I mean, almost. 18 months at this point it's always been like the fed is 21 yeah yeah november 21 the fed is going to push this until something breaks and we've been like it's kind of been like everything's just been kind of chill like markets have been kind of choppy and getting people chopped up if they're trading etc but now it feels like we i mean has something broken i could think we can confidently say that something has officially broken and it seems if there isn't a reaction from the Fed, there's I, there's just fear and panic. And I think people are going like, you had a bank run on Silvergate, they liquid. You had a bank run on Silicon Valley. They were taken over by the FDIC. Who's next? What's going to happen on Monday? We're recording this on Saturday. It seems like if the Fed doesn't step in at some point or say something to calm everyone down, there's going to be more heads that are going to roll. Yeah. I couldn't, I can't disagree with you. I'll say that I think something has officially broken. Yeah. But I don't know if it's enough yet for them to reverse. What would be enough? I don't know. Do we have to lose another bank or another top 20 bank in the country with $200 billion of yeah, assets so, under so management? I think we should maybe take a step back and just kind of yeah, we'll go, we'll run happened. through. It. But before we do that, I'll say for them or for me to think that they'll reverse course. So before this, they were basically posturing that they were going to do another fifty percent rate hike, point five or fifty basis, points. fifty basis, points, fifty yes. basis point rate hike, and that kind of came in from Powell's Senate hearing, Senate committee committee hearing 
like last week or the week before. And he basically just said that the latest economic data has come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. And so that kind of had everyone in the market readjust their terminal rate, I think up to like 5.5 to 5.75. And that was like the hawkish sentiment that kind of started this spiral. I mean, everything else was in the works prior to this. There were things that had kind of led up to here, but I think he might've pushed it too far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. So for, for me to say that they're reversing, I think we have to talk about a definition for reversing. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're not getting 50 basis points. Absolutely. Yeah. After <laughs> these two banks just went down. I don't think we were getting 50 basis points. I thought before it was possible. that, well, the I think bond markets were, were pricing in 50 basis points. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he could have done 25 even before all this happened. Yeah. I think we still might actually get 25. So for me, that's not a reversal. Just because I think for him to fully reverse, go back to zero or even start cutting, he has been, the Fed in general has been so on this, we need to be data dependent. Right. And, and he did he did reiterate. Yeah. So in terms of that's been what they've been saying this whole time. And we have not gotten data to show that they need to reverse. We got two banks collapse and they could still say that these are independent things that won't cause contagion until they see. So let's say Silicon Valley Bank, which banked pretty much all the startups in the United States. Let's say they do layoffs because they can't actually pay these employees. Mm -hmm. That won't get into jobs data until after the next one actually right. so that won't even show up in data then so i don't think i think he still has room or i still think he might do a rate hike and then won't cut until those show up in the next so i yeah. think that's possible i have no idea what he's actually going to do and i think that they could easily bail out silicon valley bank on monday doing kind of asset swaps with them. And that was kind of through like purchasing their long dated bonds essentially. But I don't think that's a reversal per se. And I don't even know if it's necessarily like a bailout in the traditional sense. Like they're not printing new money to do it. They're doing like an asset swap. It, so that's what I mean by it really depends on the definition of reversal mm -hmm. that we're going with. But yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say that something didn't break this past week. Yeah. And do you want to go through some of that? Yeah, we can kind of run down like the timeline here. So I think, well, first off, everything that kind of started with Powell with the hawkish speech was the January CPI that came out that was at 6.4%. It was above the consensus, which I think was, it was either 6.2 or 6.3. Can't remember exactly. But this came after the December 2022 CPI, which was 6.5%. So it's just the inflation wasn't quite cooling as much as they want. It seemed like it was stalling. And there's always that fear that it will reverse. And markets were kind of, you know, gearing up to run higher during that time. So I think at that point with seeing that inflation wasn't cooling and markets were kind of running up like things were going to reverse, he kind of had to come out with those hawkish statements. In regards to Silvergate, it looks like Silvergate, you know, they had issues with FTX. So they had exposure to the FTX collapse. 
they ended up losing a billion dollars in quarter four of 2022 from that collapse. They also essentially had a bank run in quarter four 2022 where their deposits from customers declined $7.3 billion down to $3.8 billion that they had from customers. So more or less, I mean, they lost 60, 70% of their deposits and they would have had to liquidate some of their assets to meet those redemptions. So I think it collapsing this past week and correct me if I'm wrong, was kind of foretold. We knew that was coming. The writing, the writing for Silvergate, I think has been on the wall. I don't know if it was understood how bad it was perhaps, but it seemed like they were meeting their redemptions for their, their customers. I think potentially the hawkish comments uh, from the fed might have accelerated and spooked the market. And then Silvergate. I'll also say this. I know there was comments from Elizabeth Warren basically saying just fudding crypto banks. Yeah. So I know that was also preceding some of this. So he had hawkish comments by the Fed. Bond market continued to reprice that. So meaning if banks are holding long dated bonds, they're also losing money on that end on a short term basis because their bonds are getting repriced mm -hmm. lower. Right. Because if you could get a higher rate from a new issued bond from the government, then your old bonds are repriced lower. Right. So that's all. Those are like just other things that are also affecting Silvergate. Right. Yeah. So from that point, you get March 1st, Silvergate plunged after hours on Wednesday once they delayed filing their 10K report with the SEC, which is basically just the report kind of showing their financial status. That led to March 2nd. Basically, a lot of companies pulled out after that. So Coinbase and Paxos also broke ties with the bank. And that was cited due to that kind of potential investigation from the SEC due to that delay in filing. So once you had that Coinbase and Paxos removed, then everyone was like, we're out. And then that's when I think it was this past Wednesday, which would have been the 8th where Silvergate announced that they would be liquidating voluntarily their assets to pay out their customers, which they were able to make everyone whole. Yeah, They were able is, to liquidate their assets and make everyone whole. Which is must, much different than what we're seeing in the Silicon Valley bank collapse right now. Right. So the crypto bank was able to make everyone whole by voluntarily shutting down operations and liquidating on their own timeline. But Silicon Valley Bank, it looks like they're going to need a bailout of some sort. Yeah. So that leads us to the next thing, which happened just this past Friday, which is the 10th. So two days later, it was announced that Silicon Valley Bank would be taken over by the FDIC. Real quick, Silicon Valley Bank is the bank that it's a top 20 bank in the United States. Number 16. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty... Pretty big. big so bank. Silvergate was a much smaller yeah, bank. The writing on the wall was also similar for Silvergate Bank, but for a different reason. Whereas the exposure to FTX for Silvergate was kind of the precursor to them collapsing. The Silicon Valley Bank more or less just made poor investment decisions. It looks like from in January, they had reported 
more or less these long-term held to maturity securities. They were buying mortgage-backed securities with 1.8% yield. And I think it was somewhere around $88 billion of 10-year mortgages with an average yield of just 1.63%. So they basically bought the top of the bond market with a lot of capital. And then all of those have been repriced very, very rapidly over the past year due to these rapid rate hikes by the Fed. So they had a potential mark-to-market loss of like $15.9 billion if they were to liquidate those assets, if they had to. But because of this bank run that's happening, that's where it kind of comes in where, you know, we don't actually have the liquidity to meet redemptions. And also if we do liquidate our assets, we are posting a massive loss of cash. So that's where you're coming in, right? With like the bailout potential of these asset swaps. So they would, the Fed would essentially be swapping out these held to maturity securities that Silicon Valley Bank holds. Yeah, that's just, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people that know this a lot better than me. It's yeah. just that thought that I had yeah. that they can do that made sense in a way that it's not traditional like print money yeah, yeah. to bail them out type right. of way. But we also don't know what the kind of potential fallout is for this across the broader ecosystem with, you know, other banks that also might be involved with the Silicon Valley Bank, you know, who's holding whose assets, who's on each's balance sheet, et cetera. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, the big one of the, the biggest things here is the fact that it is the bank for all these startups. So you have all these people on payroll that are not Mm -hmm. getting paid out now. It's not just like... It wasn't just like bad loans that they did, for example, like an FTX or whatever. It's actually affecting a lot of workers that now aren't getting paid as a result of them having this duration mismatch of their assets being long dated versus them needing these short term liabilities. Well, basically, what did one of our buddies say that his his startup didn't get affected, but the payroll manager for his startup got affected so now they will be receiving checks from yeah. their from his company yeah so it's kind of like you know how many people are going to lose their jobs over this how many of these zombie companies are kind of go under because of the situation and how many people you know i think i already said how many people are going to lose their job so that's a big potential for a fallout there the next fallout that comes from this one. Silicon Valley is how Circle is affected, the issuer of USDC. So ironically here, it's now like in the Silvergate situation, you know, you're afraid that the regular financial markets are going to be exposed to this crazy crypto world that's going to crash markets or spread contagion. But actually we're getting the reverse because this regular, you know, standard operating financial company is causing contagion potentially within the crypto sphere. Yeah. So, so do we want to go through what is going on there? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So Circle, the company that issues USDC, the dollar stable coin, was holding a ton of their assets that back this stable coin in both Silvergate and in Silicon Valley Bank. So right now we're actually seeing actively as we're recording this kind of a, a run on USDC, 
So traditionally, if you have, if you hold USDC, you could go through, you could open up a bank account with them or an account with them, and you're able to redeem for dollars for their stablecoin one-to-one. So let's say I'm holding 100,000 of USDC. I could then go onto their app and do a swap directly to dollars and get those back into my bank account. What's happening right now is we're seeing a depegging of USDC to about 90 cents right now on the dollar, meaning you you can still redeem on their app directly with them for a dollar, but on these other exchanges, you're actually losing that 10%. Yeah, your by, purchasing power. Yeah, is... 10% of your purchasing power is is devalued at, at, on these other exchanges doing, due to this massive depegging. Yeah, another issue kind of maybe short or medium to long term is with the ability for maybe Circle or these other stablecoin issuers to develop banking relationships because like Silvergate was the one that was kind of coordinating that exchange of dollars to tokens. So they were there like, you know, their intermediary acting as that group that's, you know, you put a dollar into Silvergate and they could print the token for USDC or you remove a dollar or a USDC for a dollar and they would burn the token. So well, they're kind of that intermediary. That's right? a whole like, other widespread issue in the crypto sphere right now in that it looks like to be an active like coming down on banks providing crypto services. I know mm-hmm. that's kind of been like a recent development and we see kind of Elizabeth Warren taking the head of that. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier is she was making all these comments stating that they're going to provide a lot more scrutiny to banks that are providing relationships with crypto companies. And that's kind of part of that bank run that happened with with Silvergate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know who is going to step up to the plate to provide banking services for crypto companies because that was the major one. Silvergate provided most of the banking yeah. for crypto companies in, in general. Yeah, And now they're extinct. And then we're also seeing these other smaller banks starting to get affected here just with Silicon Valley Bank being an example of we're seeing community banks kind of under pressure in general. Yeah. So I don't know who's going to step up. Yeah. So with with Circle just looking, they posted like a transparency and stability to show their reserves as of March 9th. So they hold $11.1 billion cash at reserve banks and then they hold $32.4 billion of short dated U.S. treasuries. So the $11 billion U.S. dollars at reserve banks, I believe they had split between six different banks, two of which were Silicon Valley Bank and Silvergate Bank. Silvergate Bank was able to redeem their obligations to Circle, but Silicon Valley Bank, it looks like they're using the manager. It's around 25% portion of USDC reserves held in cash. So 25%. That's about $3 billion that Circle doesn't have. Yeah. Like if if they were to go to meet those redemptions and say, I mean, it's only 8% or so of their reserves, but if everyone ran on Circle, like... Well, that's the thing with... So here's the thing with bank runs and fractional reserve banking. That is the case for every single bank that does fractional reserve banking, which is every bank, mm-hmm. is they don't ever have all of the assets on hand. Right. So 
the thing with Circle is that part, if they get bailed out, they'll actually be okay. Yeah. And they have other ways to make, like they do get interest on all their other securities that they're having. So there's ways for them to close that gap, but they shouldn't be trading at one to one in general mm-hmm. just because of this, these types of situations. Risks. But yeah, so like a lot of people are calling for doom and gloom for, for USDC. I, I don't see them imploding. I, agree. I think, I think be they'll okay. be, they'll be all right. But yeah, I mean, they obviously are not whole. They're not fully back to this time as a stable coin should be. They should be over, over collateralized. Yeah. I think it was one of the representatives or executives from Circle tweeted out that Circle is protecting USDC from a black swan failure in the U.S. banking system. Silicon Valley Bank is a critical bank in the U.S. economy and its failure without a federal rescue plan will have broader implications for business, banking, and entrepreneurs. As with Silvergate, our teams have worked at speed to limit any exposure to banks. This includes a wire request request made before Silvergate Bank's FDIC receivership and a $3.3 billion cash, expo- cash exposure remains. But we follow state and federal regulatory. So that all just kind of ties all that. And so they're almost here requesting a federal bailout to make them whole. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing that. Those VC guys are requesting bailouts. Yeah. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, it's shitty, but like, it's kind of funny. The reason why is because a lot of people have these really strong takes on like, what the government should be providing, right? Mm-hmm. So if you get bailed out in one area, they're all for all these, these, these VCs that I'm seeing, the, like the all in podcast guys. I don't know if you know who they are. Yeah. Tremoth, like, yeah, David yeah. Sachs, those guys. I saw, I think it was David Sachs. Just today, just right before I came here, I saw a tweet that was basically calling for the Fed to bail out Silicon Valley Bank. Of course, it has massive implications on a lot of different people's pay this coming months or whatever. But it's so against the bailouts for student loans. Mm. It's just like well, I'm, not, I'm not saying yeah. one way or other is right, but you can't have you can't have one, one way, yeah, one way and not the other. But you can, yeah. It's just. It makes no sense, but you can yeah. because it's all about who's yelling at who. And I mean, you have these banking executives, they are part of the Fed. Like the Fed structure has, because they pay into, like they pay interest to the Fed and they pay into the FDIC, they have board seats. Oh yeah. No, so, like, one of the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was a board, a Fed board member. Yeah. And they, I think those change like every few years or something like that, but like, that's why they get their way. And obviously we don't get our way. (laughs) Who are we? So not that either way, not that anyone should really be bailed out, but some people get to be. Me saying that is ultimately a critique on the whole system. Yes. And there's obviously inherent system flaws with fractional reserve banking. That's kind of what Bitcoin would inevitably solve. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think the potential for the pivot, the quote unquote pivot will really come to what happens next. Like, are they able to control this fallout or does the fallout worsen? You know, if, if it's like a Lehman Brothers situation and everything just starts to fucking collapse, then I mean, they can't just be like, you know what? We're going to wait a month. We'll pause in the March meeting yeah. and we'll see how it goes. That's going to have to be like, we have to act now. We're, pivoting we're dropping rates you know everyone can now refinance their debt at 0.25 percent 
and we can all be happy again and keep raising that debt ceiling. But <laughs> so here's the crazy thing is we do have the debt ceiling. Well, that's coming up too, right? They yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> so Yellen right now is in the Ukraine while all of this is happening. But uh, the debt ceiling is going to be raised soon. And here's the other crazy thing is if they do raise the debt ceiling, these short dated bonds, you're actually going to see an increase of those. So it actually reprices these bank balance sheets a little bit more to the lower end. Because in order to raise the debt ceiling, you have to issue government bonds, mm -hmm. a lot of them. And if you're, you're already having the situation where we're raising rates and issuing bonds at the same time, you're getting these bank balance sheet being repriced further down. Right. So it's kind of like the bondholders are going to be taking the hit. Which yeah. are the banks. Yeah. Which if, so in theory, if the public was more financially savvy, it would actually be way smarter for them to be buying like treasuries, like sh really short dated like treasuries. Trade, treasuries. Exactly. And yeah. holding their assets in that way because they don't have the, especially anyone that has over $250,000 that are trusting these banks to hold their assets and are not insured above that limit. What they should be doing is holding, if they want liquid capital, they should be holding really short dated bonds that are paying mm -hmm. them three or 4% or whatever. Yeah. And are actually insured by the Fed. Right. For the total amount. Right. And so, like, what people would actually be doing if they're smart is they would be pulling their money out of all these banks, causing a massive bank run, and just <laughs> buying bonds. Just collapsing the market. But it would collapse the whole system. Yeah. But yeah. That is, in theory, that's the smart capital move mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Just on how fast we raise things and where everything looks in the, the current system. So, I mean, not out of the question is that you see massive contagion in other small community banks because we're seeing it happen in real time right now. Yeah. I mean, do you think that this will spark, to kind of shift it back to Bitcoin, do you think this will spark any type of like corporate treasury move to be able to become like, you're now self-custodying your corporate treasury or you're using a, I mean, I think you should just be self-custodying it, but they won't. So they're going to utilize someone like Coinbase or someone to, to custody like their corporate like, treasury. Well, just as kind of a tangent, they could do self custody in ways that like Coinbase holds a key, a few people, like a multi the board yeah. members holds, yeah, keys exactly a multi sig. I think that's like, I think there's going to be some great like self custody solutions coming out shortly for big enterprise. Yeah. That's a whole other topic. We could do a whole episode on that at some point, or at least like our best job at it. But um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Michael Saylor kind of laid the playbook out for that. Yeah. And the funny thing is, so I don't know how this will go down or if it has already gone down or, but with Silvergate basically being liquidated and their assets being like, they probably have already been purchased, but because yeah, Silvergate, loans. yeah, Silvergate holds his loan. Technically, would he be able to buy his loan back for like 80 cents on the dollar or something at auction? Maybe. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't know exactly I how guess it, it depends on who buys them out or right. if someone is going to buy them out. I think we're going to see a lot of new new faces holding these these, these banks. So yeah. both Silvergate and Silicon Valley. I, I saw Elon say that oh, yeah, he was going to buy Silicon Valley Bank. 
which I don't think is going to happen, but it's just kind of funny. Like, we'll see. I think probably one of the major banks buy one of them out. I mean, I don't think that Elon has the capital at the moment after well, the Twitter. Uh, he could still sell all of the rest of his Tesla and just dump on them. <laughs> it's kind of like an excuse for him to dump Tesla, Tesla. stock. Because mm. he has so much of his net worth in there. It makes sense. Yeah. For him to diversify out of Tesla. Yeah. In any way he can. I think that's part of his whole thing. But yeah, in terms of bank, company balance sheets, I think, and this is where I, like the libertarian take is none of these people should be getting bailouts at all mm-hmm. because they should have not kept more than $200,000 at the bank. But at the same time, it's very impractical for companies holding, what, billions of dollars to diversify into, what, 10,000 different banks? Yeah. It's literally impossible right. for them to manage money that way, especially so, if they have to do like large purchases. So I think what will have to come out out of this if there's going to be any confidence in banking or if there's going to be any confidence in the banking system for a startup there has to be new there has to be laws created just for them and this is a whole other tangent but this has massive implications on the United States if there isn't something done for for them so the libertarian take is they shouldn't get bailed out because they were dumb and didn't do the right things mm-hmm based on publicly available information or they should use a different bank because they're releasing their statements every, every month yeah. and what they're holding and what, you know, their kind of risk management strategies, Silicon Valley bank that is mm-hmm. right. Like they were being risky with what they were doing. So maybe they should have, these startup should have moved their capital elsewhere. So libertarian take don't bail them out because they fucked up. But the like American take is if they don't do anything, they're basically saying innovation in the United States should not be allowed to flourish because it is practically impossible for you to move all your money as a startup into all these different banks under $250,000 of FDIC insurance. So this was the startup bank. This is mm-hmm. like where all of the startups, like all these major companies in the United States were one startups, Amazon, blah, 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 right? You don't have to go through the list. If you say, oh, oh, well, like, why would I want to start up a company if, like, we just saw this happen and you just get wiped out for putting your money in a bank? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't they be able to, like, these startups be able to, like, use that hold short-dated U.S. treasuries as their corporate treasury and kind of avoid the exposure to... So your exposure is now the United States government as opposed to a banking institution within the U.S. government that is or within the United States that is has its own issues with how it practices itself. So now you're kind of limiting the amount of parties that you're exposed to. Sure. I think there's a couple of things it leads to. It means that these startups have to be less lean, right? You need like really more sophisticated financial you people You need a heavy team. finance department. Exactly. Yeah. You also still, like, if I'm a startup and I want to, I'm holding these short dated treasuries or whatever, you still kind of need a banking relationship to sell those treasuries into dollars because in general, we're not doing business, me and you, in mm-hmm. treasuries. Mm-hmm. You could. It's just not practical. Right. You need, a, so, you need a more liquid asset. Yeah. So this leads to CBDCs. And I don't know if it's coming or I don't think this was planned. And obviously, like, the United States isn't anywhere close to working on one. Yeah. And there's a lot of 
laws that are being proposed to limit the United States' ability to create one. But that would be financialized, very liquid, short-dated treasuries, essentially. Yeah. I mean, also, wouldn't you think that probably a lot of a lot of these issues would be eliminated if you weren't dealing with a constantly inflating money? So now, because your money is always inflating, so you're, if you were holding your corporate treasury in cash, obviously you can't because it's losing at least 2% of its value every year if not more in other countries here, we try to set the benchmark as two. So now you're facing yourself with, you're having to outpace the 2% inflation. And that's what leads to purchasing these additional assets, bonds, mortgage-backed securities, or type of other investments, real estate, et cetera, which is now putting you at exposure to situations like this with changing market environment where rates might raise rapidly. And now you're kind of behind on that, like mark to market, you're at a mark to market loss. So that's kind of all like an inherent issue with just this constantly inflating money supply. Whereas if you could literally just hold something in your treasury that year over year accumulates value, you wouldn't have to have a large financial team to manage your treasury to make sure that you have enough liquidity all at once. Now, obviously something like Bitcoin is probably not in that state right now because it's so wildly volatile. Yeah, so, I'll, st I'll stop you there. I think the issue isn't actually the inflating monetary supply. It's the unpredictability of it, mm. uh, which is something you can't control, which is the issue of it having centrally planned like monetary issuers. Right. Is they're trying to control these market forces that are so unpredictable. And when you go so far one way, and then you go so far the other way is when you get these collapses. But because you're you... trying to plan. If you could if you could predictably say this inflates at two percent two percent per year, no matter you what, yeah. you can plan accordingly. Right. But when you go two percent, oh, ten percent, oh, now we're gonna raise rates a bajillion percent to correct. It, that's the problem. Yeah. No, that makes sense. The issue is also we're not inflating monetary supply at fix 2% or whatever. Like it, to get it to weeds of inflation, like CPI is one bucket of inflation. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, inflation is dependent on what bucket of goods that you are purchasing. You're personally purchasing. Everyone's personal inflation is kind of. Right. So yeah, I think the whole system is inherently flawed and that's what we're seeing right now mm -hmm. in these collapses yeah but back to like the cbdc so i mean something that i've been trying to reason out or slowly think about is how that's going to end up playing a role like you see i mean you see other countries like nigeria tried to roll it out and obviously i don't think that's been going too well everyone in nigeria does not seem to be wanting to deal with that. They've mm -hmm. been flying to or flocking to Bitcoin. I'm not sure what else they've been flocking to. I'm sure there's other things as well. But I, I don't know if I see CBDCs. Like there's there's been this big push in the last two years or so, I think, talking about it. I even wrote something about it because the initial thing when you hear about it, it's a very like, it's a very authoritarian concept of, 
your money being directly controlled by the government Mm -hmm. in your bank account, their ability to change how you use it, when you use it, basically how much it's worth at the end of the day. And you see it in China. It's actively happening in China. But they're an actual dictatorship, like a communist regime. It's very different than the United States. So as much as there's all the doom and gloom and like doom posting and doom porn about this happening in the United States, I think I actually do have faith in the structure of the U.S. government and the United States itself and the people that live here that there would be enough pushback to actually stop that from happening. That's my take on it. So I don't actually concern myself too much with the CBDC. I think if it does come, it'll probably just be interoperable between the banks and the Fed. So the Fed would use it as their account with the banks. The okay. thing the thing that I see happening more so, which has its other version of issues, is the large players, JP Morgan, Bank of America, City, etc., top ten biggest banks in the world or whatever. Getting involved and kind of cutting out the middleman of someone like Circle or Tether or relying on these stablecoin issuers and just doing it themselves. Similar similar to what we have with Circle right now, but it's just the major banks. Yeah. And have direct banking relationships with the with Fed. With the Fed, exactly. And I think that because you kind of see this push now too as as well from kind of the regulatory pressure of on like from the SEC, from Elizabeth Warren, you know, pushing for wallets to have KYC requirements, things like that. I, I think that they're just they're pushing it into the big players, probably from you know, by request from the big players to do so. And I think that that's eventually where we're going to head. I guess what's the difference between that or a CBDC? Oh, well, yeah, that's what I mean. I don't think that there is a difference, but I think it's something that is almost like insidious that people aren't realizing I think is happening. They're going to focus on the CBDC and say, no, the Fed cannot issue a CBDC directly to people, but they can do it de facto through major banking institutions. Yeah. You're just saying that it's just going to happen in, in an insidious way. Yes. And this is your outline to how that occurs. Yes. Okay. I think that's my point that I'm trying to make. And that's fine. I just like, it, it's still like, <laughs> you started this by saying you have faith in the United States people that a CBDC won't happen, but yes. like it's the same exact problem right. that occurs with the CBDC. Right. And that their ability to track all your everyday spending and to limit how you spend in certain ways is always on the table. And then to block all your financial transactions is always on the table. Right. To say, hey, you, let's say one political power comes into place. Let's say it doesn't really matter which one, but they have both the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And they go, hey, we don't actually, you're actually a terrorist for supporting the other side. And mm-hmm. they block your donations to them. Mm-hmm. Like that is still on the table in both of these scenarios. Mm-hmm. So this is the. So uh, this to is me, the, like, right, I don't give so any me, redeeming quality to the American people in this case. Okay. So this is the first time that I've actually like tried to speak this thought out. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's come out jumbled. 
the faith in the representatives as well as the American people to stop something like a CBDC, I think it's just so apparent. Like, it's like, okay, obviously not. Yeah. But I think what I'm trying to paint is more of like an insidious thing that just seems almost like what we already do. It's like, oh, this is something that already happens. You now just have these banking institutions that already hold your money that are now just making it, making it more liquid, etc. And so it's an easier thing to fall into, but ultimately it results in a very similar situation. Yeah. So I think that was more of my point was, I think it's still going to happen. It's just going to happen in a different way. And I think that it's just another thing to be aware of when these so, banking institutions start to try to play money printer. So I'll say a couple of things right now. Is for that to happen, there has to be a lot of different banking laws that go, that go through that allow this mm -hmm. easier swap with the with the Fed. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you get situations like this that we're seeing today and this past week, where you get you still have the ability for all these bank runs to occur, to occur. Which so same thing with Circle, like the same exact situation that is happening right now, where Circle is depegged, could happen in this scenario that you're laying out. Right. So there's just a lot of things that have to occur for that to be a case but like we're obviously seeing just i think hopefully the public is their eyes are being open to the fact of like just how convoluted and complicated our current financial system is and how broken it is and how it's only going to get worse through these volatile swings if you're trying to quell inflation which we're seeing, you have to raise these rates really quickly and then something breaks and then you have to reverse it and then inflation comes back up and then you do the seesaw. And how, how many more levels of seesaw do we have? And that ultimately leads you to two situations. So that situation where you have a CBDC or a CBDC-like thing mm -hmm. to kind of save this whole system because of the fractional reserve isn't viable. Right. It's just like inherently broken. It does lasted for a long period of time. But like when you have these volatile swings, it becomes more apparent how broken it is. And I hope people are seeing how that is the case right now. And that's not going to get fixed in the next 20 to 30 years. It's just going to get worse. You're going to keep, you're, we're at the point where due to the amount of debt that's in the system, you have to have these massive volatile swings back and forth, just the mm -hmm. whole total global system. And we've talked about it a bunch of times. And so that leads you to, and this has always been my base case, you have these two scenarios and they're both are on the table right now, CBDC and Bitcoin. I don't think in this past week, I haven't seen a more clear case for Bitcoin, but the, the issue is with public perception right now. And like we saw that Bitcoin also didn't hold its purchasing. You have to get over that hill. It just takes time. And I don't know. Yeah. And we don't have any idea when that'll happen. But those are, for the public, those are the two outcomes. There's nothing else on the table. The system will continue like this, where things are going to break. The Fed will have to come in and resave everything. And then, shit, and inflation's high again. We have to do the, the opposite. And then it's just going to keep happening until it's just like, doesn't exist anymore. The smooth way is, to slowly adopt Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But I just don't know if that, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. At the same time, 
as you said, I think, yeah, CBDCs are very apparent. So maybe you're right. Maybe we do get this, the, these bank coins. I think people would also eventually realize realize that as well. Yeah. But yeah, it might take a while. Yeah. I mean, I think it also gives the potential for a further reaching of the dollar. So you're, you're, I mean, as you already see with USDC, USDT, it makes it easier for dollar demand overseas. So to kind of maintain and offset the inflation that we see in this country by creating these liquid assets that you're able to, you know, get overseas to other people who need dollars, who demand dollars, it creates that, that dollar demand that also inevitably, you know, Either the banks are holding a USD CBDC or they're holding long-term dated U.S. treasuries, which the U.S. needs anyways. So if you're able to export even more dollar demand through J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, whatever banking relationships they have overseas, and they're able to sell, you know, or get dollars into Europe, Africa, et cetera, then they can use that to then buy U.S. treasuries, which then, I mean, we need to sell even more and more of because Russia and China have more or less divested from those. And as we continue to build this debt, as we've already talked about raising the debt ceiling, they need to find new buyers of U.S. treasuries. So this also kind of plays that role. So I think it's also another path for a reason why this would happen as opposed to just like a CBDC because it would allow them to have more outreach for the dollar. Cause I don't think they're going to be issuing a CBDC overseas. They don't, but I, I don't know. That's another reason that I think that it could go that way. Not that it would be any better. It was just that yeah, kind of went off the rails. <laughs> Do we want to continue down this stable coin CBDC line of thought right now? So circle doing it. Discuss Circle, Coinbase. Yeah, we can. It's like right now, Coinbase is actively pausing redemption. Yeah, so they put in that they're temporarily pausing the USDC-USD conversions over this weekend. So March 10th to, I think, the 13th when they banks open back up on Monday. Mm-hmm. And they say, we plan to recommence conversions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's probably helping with the pressure on USDC right now. I'm not sure how much USDC Coinbase holds. Here's the problem. So like, for example, if the depegging is happening quick and people are buying USDC at 90 and then getting a full dollar back Mm -hmm. at Coinbase, they are actively getting, then they're holding that USDC. So they're actively getting devalued through this arbitrage. So they have to stop it if it's happening at this like fast of a pace. So yeah. I'm pretty sure Robinhood had it pegged at a dollar at all times. So while this was happening, people were performing this arbitrage all last night, like buying USDC at 80 cents, going out to Robinhood, yeah. getting a dollar back. Jeez. Yeah. Like these types of things can put holes in so and balance sheets. A ton of balance sheets, a ton of protocols that we're looking at. DeFi, and for example, a lot of these different protocols and different asset swap things that are in these different DeFi systems are based on this dollar peg. Things just break when these stable coins are off their peg. Mm-hmm. As this whole bear market was kicked off, 
stablecoin being de-pegged or quote unquote stablecoin. Yeah. Luna, Terra Luna, our first episode. Our first episode. Yeah. We're back on these stablecoin things. But yeah. So I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen there. I, I, I do think, as I said before, that uh, Circle and USDC will be fine. But there's a lot of arbitrages to be to be made right now when there's so much panic and and fear in the market. So with the fear in the market, is anyone else going to fall? <laughs> so this this other one that I put in, this signature bank, that maybe something could happen on Monday. I saw that they were also heavily in, involved in loans with crypto companies. So I don't know if they had any exposure to FTX. But over the last week, their stock is down 30%, which, I mean, it, it works out to like over a billion dollars worth of value in the company. Mm-hmm. So, and they also hold like $114 billion of assets under management. So they're, they're up there with Silicon Valley Bank as a really large bank. So I don't know. It could be another bank to look out for. We'll see if anything happens on Monday. Yeah. Well, I had Did a Jim bank. Kramer say that? <laughs> did he say they that they were a buy? a buy? No, but he who did he say was a buy? Well, he said that Signature Bank was a buy like last month. So <laughs> he's doing not great. Yeah. They also just released, I think, a, a Jim Kramer short ETF. Incredible. That's how they're performing. It just it went live last week, so. Probably yeah. great. well i don't think i think his buy on silicon valley bank was like last month or two months ago so they probably didn't get a short in on silicon valley bank they would have made a lot just funny i I mean i'm seeing people doing this arb right now or from last night 20x long on buying usdc and selling it on other exchanges yeah like a lot of money yeah money could have been made but you're also basically just siphoning funds off of whoever just, just had a ste- bad interface. <laughs> just stealing people. I mean, it's almost like, so if Robin, if this were to like run enough money off their balance sheet, you could possibly like destroy the company exactly. and then people holding their assets, those assets are no longer this is, there. This is where you get like, massive contagion, right? Yeah. There's these little things like that when there's an inefficiency that can be exploited whether it be duration mismatches, which we saw in the the bonds that were held in the banks, mm-hmm. they were actually like in theory they are whole if no one pulled out, right? But like well, as soon as people pull out, there's potential for collapse there, and then you get because there was collapse there, people had money in that bank. Now they can't meet their other liabilities that they have, and this is where you get massive contagion. So there's probably going to be other things that pop up that we had never thought about Yeah, if if they don't get bailed out. You know, you're seeing both sides. You're seeing people saying, yes, they should get bailed out, and you're seeing absolutely not because they were horrible risk managers and like they were just bad, so they shouldn't get bailed out. The implications there is you don't know what happens on the line if they don't get bailed out. Mm-hmm. And this is something that probably Yellen and Jerome Powell are trying to figure out right now. So... I mean, there's without a doubt that they're getting briefed on this and, you know, everyone's looking into this and who it might be affecting, but they're not all knowing. And that is the problem with, with them making the last decision yeah. is they don't, they can't see everything. There's, I mean, there's, there's literally just too much on the table. There's no way to know. Yeah. I mean, it's just 
who they decide to bail out, essentially. Like, I mean, just guessing that Silicon Valley Bank was going to go belly up. Who who was, was that on anyone's radar? Maybe a few people. I mean, and then it just kind of hit. It's like, okay, this is real. It's happening. Yeah, I mean, once there was shattered, like, I think all of the startups that heard about it did the responsible thing and pulled yeah, out. Yeah. But at the same time, that's what caused them to collapse. Right. And then that also is what, like, who do they go to after that? That that was the bank for them. So there's just a lot of pieces on the table right now. What else we got? So we could shift over to kind of the, I mean, the lawsuit, potential lawsuits and fines that have come from the SEC. I mean, there's a lot going on between Kraken, Coinbase, Robinhood. I mean, Grayscale has its active legislation against the SEC. They're suing the SEC. But right now, I know this week, Fox had reported that there's a possible SEC lawsuit coming towards Coinbase, Kraken, Robinhood, anyone that essentially issues any of these potential unregistered securities. So basically, the they have this lawyer, long-term securities lawyer. He said, we believe Coinbase, Robinhood, and other exchanges have violated the law, and investors who lost money purchasing cryptocurrencies on their platform may be entitled to recover those losses. Coinbase and Robinhood did not immediately respond to requests. The press release says Grady is also seeking out clients of Coinbase, Robinhood, and other exchanges who suffered losses purchasing cryptocurrencies on their platforms to share information about their investments. So it's kind of just this continued debate with the SEC and what is constituted as a security. You know, if Coinbase, Kraken, et cetera, can be issuing or listing all of these coins that could be unregistered securities. So that kind of has, you know, a very large implication. And one, I would say probably the ability for these exchanges to be profitable one, right? I mean, a lot of their business model is just selling these things. Oh yeah. I think they're probably shifting, trying to find other avenues and that resulted in staking, but now staking could also, I mean, Kraken came under fire and they had to pay a $30 million fine for staking from the SEC and they had to stop their staking initiatives on their web, on their exchange. So I think a lot of these exchanges are going to be looking for ways to make profit and the SEC is definitely cracking down. I think inevitably it's just going to probably just push, if they continue to press it, it's just going to push it outside the United States. Yeah, 100%. Outside of like our regulatory grasp, which is not what you want. If then this you get is, the same exact thing that happened with FTX. It's just yeah. ironic and moronic. Yeah. policy where they're trying to it's like when you tell a teenager not to do something you they're every, all these degens are going to do the complete opposite of what they want and it makes it worse for united states citizens yeah they're not protecting anyone by being so harsh on these regulations they're making it worse yeah exactly like if you're able to not that i feel like we don't agree or would want to really do any of these or be buying these shit coins on coinbase or be staking these shit coins on coinbase whatever it might be, but at least Coinbase is a regulated company within the United States yeah. who has a, a set of rules to follow and it does have investor protection as opposed to utilizing a company that is based out of the fucking Bahamas. Yes. So it's like, one, do we think that 
this should really be happening? No, but it is happening. So we have to find a way to protect the people who decide to degen their fucking money into it. Yes. Like, and by saying you can't do it, it ain't going to stop it. Yeah, it's so funny how this all started because an unregulated Bahamian exchange <laughs> went under. So yeah. let's regulate like, all the, you know, law-abiding exchanges in the United States so heavily that we put, that them, we put them back. We put all the, their customers into other unregulated Bohemian exchanges. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, we, we have that coming out. And then we also have, so they're coming down on staking. And they are also just the New York AG just, did you see this? That they filed a lawsuit against, oh, I don't remember who it was against. But in the lawsuit, they stated that Ether was a secured. Mm. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Yeah. So oh, that wait. has implications. Too. New York Attorney General sues Qcoin. Oh, uh, yeah. Qcoin. Qcoin well, claims I've, Ethereum is a security. Qcoin is actually a big exchange. Where are they based? I think they're based out of China. I'm not 100% sure. Don't. Or either. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I thought it was China. But they were operating in, the, in New York without a bit license. So classic case uh, in okay. New York yeah. for the New York AG. But the interesting part of that, so that's not a big deal if it was just whatever, they're just coming after them for a bit license thing. We've seen that a million times already. But the fact that in their case, they are saying that Ethereum is a security mm-hmm. does have some implications. So pr- prior to this, I think the CFTC was taking the stance that Ethereum was commodity. SEC obviously wants everything under their jurisdiction. They're just grabbing at everything these days. Yeah. While actively losing cases, we could discuss the GBTC case a little bit too, where they are, it looks like, losing the initial arguments just based on what we're seeing. And it's obviously a foolish argument that we've discussed before. It doesn't make sense at all for them to have futures ETF and not a Bitcoin spot ETF. So to cut you off real quick, now actually go ahead, keep your thought. We'll get into it. Okay. So that whole thing. But yes, them saying Ethereum is a security kind of puts this on both of them to, mm-hmm. to kind of say one way or another. But yeah, that's all I was saying regarding that. Yeah, I mean, I think to the another aspect and it kind of ties back into this whole other discussion with our interview with Alex B is if companies like Kraken, Coinbase aren't allowed to offer staking anymore in the United States, they hold a large share of the Ethereum staking so where does that stake inevitably go? Does it go over to Lido and kind of, you know, set in stone that Lido is now going to take over the majority portion of staking and kind of have that centralization risk that we've talked before with Ethereum? The issue right now with that. So as I guess there's two things. So if they're going against these companies staking in the United States, can they still take customers ETH and put it into a separate protocol. That's no different than like them doing this kind of fractional reserve banking and then taking customers' deposit and using it in these other mm-hmm. security-like assets. Or does it mean that all these people need to take custody of their own Ethereum and then put it into Lido themselves? Right. The second scenario is actually for the decentralization, more or less or better than the first scenario where, you know, that it would be a revenue stream for Coinbase, 
Kraken, whatever, if they were able to use customer deposits and then get a percentage of that from Lido directly to them. And then, then they pass that on to customers that are using, you know, there's a lot of different hoops, yeah. but, but in theory, yes, that concentrates a lot more Ethereum into those protocols, which is then does the United States come after those protocols? It would be kind of hard to come after it. There's no real precedent for it. Right. They're not technically a company. Well, the people that made Lido or is it just Lido? Like, I don't, I don't know, whatever. They hold the majority of LDO token, which makes protocol decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the centralization risk there. And those people do have, you know, publicly available addresses and yeah. information yeah. that the United States government could come after. The problem is, Shutting down the validators that are running the staking for all their customers, they're dispersed internationally. Mm -hmm. So the United States couldn't exactly come after those and shut it down, but they could potentially come after the head and take over the LDO tokens from those people and make protocol decisions themselves. So yeah, of course, like I laid out that article too, there is huge centralization risks in Lido. It's just a little bit more complicated than coming after a Kraken and mm-hmm. shutting them down for staking yeah. or a Coinbase, you know what I mean? That have all their operations in the United States jurisdiction. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, like kind of from where you were saying, they can they really go after a, a protocol specifically? It doesn't look like they've really attempted. And what uh, is, kind of pres- precedent does that set going forward right. for crypto in general? Right. Because it's not a regulated company in the United States. It's a protocol that's dispersed internationally. Yeah. I don't yeah. And you're now you're now well, you're like kind yeah. of regulating a, a software. Yeah, almost. exactly. So it's weird. Yeah, it's very weird. Weird precedent. There's a lot of weird precedents that have been coming out. That's one of them. The other one is obviously calling everything a security. So the other implication of calling Ether a security is that mean every other crypto is a security? At what point is there ever a point where they're not a security? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it's basically impossible for all these protocols at their certain point to register. You can't, who's going to register Ethereum with the, the SEC. SEC? It's literally, there's no, there's not a head. There's yeah. not anymore. So I'm under the, the take that Ethereum is no longer security Yeah. versus what most maxis will say. It's just not possible for them to register as a security because like they're too big. Just, it's too de- like it's, it's just too, too decentralized. Yeah. Too many people yeah. have it. Too many people have a say in what software the one knows they're running or whatever. Yeah, it's just impossible to do it. Probably it was a security at issuance. It's just like now it's too late. And there's probably a ton of other crypto protocols that are similar that it would be impossible to register with the SEC. Does that mean it's a de facto ban on all crypto that isn't Bitcoin? I mean, I think. I do think like as much as there's, there's always the, the take where people who are involved in the crypto space will always push back against someone who's like Bitcoin only, or says they're a Bitcoin max or whatever. And I wouldn't say is cheerleading like the sec putting in securities regulations for these shit coins. And to, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily for overregulation, larger government etc but i mean i think that sometimes you just gotta call a duck a duck and be like 
it's a security. It needs to register if it's going to be in the United States. Like if, if you were to, I agree with you that a lot of these ones that already existed, they wouldn't be able to, but it just creates a massive headache for them. Cause there's a million of them. It's just impossible. But for ones that might be trying to start up that are going to be securities at issuance, it should probably happen to create that hurdle for them so that they can't just like create this fucking come coin or whatever yeah. you come rocket just out of nowhere and then run up a price make people buy in and then dump sure like i mean that there needs to be an investor protection there sure for those. And the problem is i think they were so late on yes. all of this yeah. that it, it's kind of gotten it's out of hand it's out of hand and it's i don't know how they're gonna uh, claw it back yeah well, i, I think, don't know what they're yeah. Like, what is even possible for them to do? That's what I mean. It's like, are we going to expand the SEC like tenfold so they go after every like single the IRS and hire eighty thousand SEC agents to go and hunt down all these exactly crypto people hanging out in their parents' garage or whatever? Exactly. <laughs> so, no, I I totally agree with you there. But uh, well, I think the I think the way that they're doing it and they've shown it is by kind of like becoming like a, a police force and attacking the exchanges that list the coins. So if you're a coin and you're not able to get listed on a major exchange, then it essentially is a de facto ban on you. Like, I mean, if you can't get listed because you need to follow these certain rules to get listed on my exchange, you don't have to file with the Securities Exchange Commission to create yourself. But if you want to get listed on Coinbase, then you need to follow these sets of rules and register with the SEC. Then that would be like a de facto way of doing it without actually going up against 10,000, 50,000 different coins out there. Yeah. So you're attacking the people that would allow those things to be able to even operate. I think it's probably the route that they've taken. I don't know if they're winning. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly not doing a good job of winning any of their cases already. Yeah. It looks like even Ripple. Looks I mean, like that one's are, been going on for a while. And yeah, and it looks like they're beating the SEC. Yeah. Which, like, if they can't win that case, then how are they going to win all these other ones? That yeah. one's a layup. Like, Ripple. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. And I mean. And then the GVDC thing, like, they're just getting whipped on all sides. So that one's really interesting, and I've looked into it. And it seems like, I mean, it came out this week, I think, where the judge was basically scrutinizing the sec yes. over this denial yes. and because they've been so the sec has been challenging that grayscale application didn't show that there was enough data to determine whether or not fraud and manipulation and the spot market impacts futures markets in the same way so and that's why they like we're able to file this futures market or create this futures market, but not the spot market. But something that I saw that was quite interesting was if GBTC or if Grayscale wins and says, you know, based on their argument that the SEC created a futures ETF and we filed similarly to as like the same structure of like setting this up, then you should be approving this spot market. And if the judge rules in their favor, the SEC could potentially go back and revoke yeah. this futures ETF and be like, well, we revoked this. So actually 
now we're not granting either. Well, there's also, so it's, a, it's a, definitely a weird potential like <laughs> shakeup there. Yeah. So even if they grayscale wins their case, doesn't mean that they're going to get approved. Yeah. It just means that there just might not be any Bitcoin ETFs. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, future. the futures ETF is a horrible product, but there yeah. is a few of them. Yeah. So do that mean they have to revoke all of them? Like, I mean, their argument makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So I could see them, the SEC definitely losing their case, but then just kind of retaliate in that way and, and reverse. I don't, I don't see Grayscale winning and then also getting a spot ETF at the same time. Yeah. It's so the judge did ask actually. So if Grayscale were to be a granted approval of the judge, Naomi Rao asked whether the SEC would approve a spot product or would it go back on its approval of the futures product? The SEC attorney said she did not speak, could not speak to what the commission would decide, but certainly if you disagree with the commission's position here, the commission would have to think about the issues anew. So it's definitely like, that's like a veiled threat, I feel. <laughs> so in lawyer speak, we'll see what happens. I, I think their decision is due sometime in the fall. And after this recent information came out, like transcripts from this hearing came out, I believe the Grayscale product jumped in price. Oh, yeah. It closed the gap a decent amount. Yeah. It's still down. Yeah. So people are pricing in the case. The potential approval. But they might not be potential pricing in the potential that like it won't matter. Yeah. And what else? They also, the SEC lost their case to Voyager. So they were trying to disallow the sale of Binance US mm -hmm. and the SEC oh, lost yeah. that case. Yeah. So the SEC do it too hard. That's what I mean. Like, I don't know how they would even go about, you know, re regulating all these things that they're doing. Oh, and then we also have, just in terms of government regulation of the crypto space, you have the Biden proposing a 30% tax on Bitcoin mining, yep. which sets, that's where I was kind of going before with the precedents. There's a lot of different precedents being set here. That would be a horrible precedent to set in something we've discussed in the past in, in regulating how people spend their energy. Mm -hmm. If you're taxing the use of energy in different ways, that is fully determined by the government. Yeah. It's pretty pretty tough precedent and kind of authoritarian. I mean, I think that this is step one in a much broader discussion regarding energy as a whole this whole kind of like, you know, global ESG, ESG, WEF cabal of, I mean, honestly, like when, if you want to get into the weeds and get real tinfoil cappy on it, I think it all like, that's kind of the discussion here. And this is just that step one. They don't like that cryptocurrency miners, they refer to it as cryptocurrency miners are using energy because they don't determine it is a reasonable use of energy. And so what do you do as a government when you don't like something? You tax. It. Because taxes aren't actually to get money. It's just to regulate things in another way. Opinion. But so, yeah, so they have posed this 30% tax of the cost of the electricity they use. And they also plan to eliminate tax deductible losses related to the wash trading of crypto tokens. So this was all in a U.S. A treasury document that was published this Thursday. 
And I missed it, but I'm pretty sure there was a House financial service community yesterday amongst all of this stuff, but they were questioning the Biden admin's overreach in just regulating crypto in general. Mm -hmm. So I think that was also a part of it. I'm, I'm not sure what the outcome was. I, there was just so much happening. I couldn't keep up with everything. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, especially when a lot of these documents that get published from all these different committees and departments but, are like pages of pages. Yeah. I, so there are pushbacks here in the House on, yeah. on a lot of these different things. I mean, you got Warren Davidson. He's He pushes back a lot. Lemus pushes back a lot. Ted Cruz will push back a lot. I think there's I think there's too many people involved in the United States for these things to grab a foothold. My my main issue is like it's a nice talking point that like the normie population rallies behind mm -hmm. because they don't understand the broader implication. Yeah. And, and there are massive implications to regulating people's energy use yeah. that they fairly bought on the open market. And I, I don't know you know if everyone sees such a thing well i think i mean i think they will well i guess it all depends on how things are framed like they're also trying to i mean i know they do this in new york i think they do it in california with like new builds not having uh gas supply oh, yeah, yeah. into the buildings so you wouldn't be able to run like a gas stove or you wouldn't be able to run a gas fireplace or you wouldn't be able to even have gas heating. It's all electric, whatever it might be. And then once those things start to kind of come into play, you start to see press releases and medical studies saying that kids that have had exposure to gas stoves have a higher rate of asthma. So it's, I, I just, it's hard to not have like the, the tinfoil cap idea with, with it. Cause when you see these things come out and there's, they're trying to, control like you said how you utilize energy what type of energy you use it's a moral then, use of energy yes and so they're either trying to relate it to health morality or anything like that as opposed to just utilizing what's the cheapest and what's going to i mean allow you to prosper yeah i mean we we've gone down the end of this rabbit hole before yeah it's eventually just like Malthusianism and yes. just basically nihilism and it ultimately leads to we just need less humans on the earth That's because the, yeah. we're trying to save the earth but like doesn't make any well, it doesn't make any yeah. logical sense we're not trying right? to save the earth we're trying to save us because we have the money yes. so the people in Africa they can't get access to natural gas coal yes, we and only oil. care about certain people we don't care about bringing energy rich resources to billions of people in third world countries. Um, yes. You know, the best way to save most people is to allow them cheaper energy sources. Yeah. So yes, we've gone down this rabbit hole, but like, <laughs> it's just again, popping up. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, not only are they trying to set a precedent where they control the type of energy that you're using or how much of it that you're using, they're also just stating things that are completely untrue. They stated and the Treasury Department stated that the increase in energy consumption attributable to the growth of digital asset mining has negative environmental impact effects and can have environmental justice implications as well as increased energy prices for those that share an electricity grid. That's just something that, I mean, from the limited amount of information that's been available and they're trying to develop more, especially with like ERCOT in Texas, 
it's just untrue. Yeah. Like it's just downright untrue. There's all these initiatives in, in Africa to be able to build out electricity plants because you have, you know, Bitcoin mining and that can provide profitability. Yeah, immediate profitability to building out. These. And if you can get like a hydro plant going or a, a solar plant going in Africa and bring electricity to all these people that don't have it. I mean, you are that you're going to say environmental justice. I mean, what is more, what has more justification than like bringing clean water and energy to people that don't have it? I just, it's, it's very, I mean, infuriating. Yeah. But <laughs> that's all that I got on that I think it's going to be a constant battle. It's just going to be something that people need to, to, to harp on and legitimate data, irrefutable data needs to be generated in order to kind of push back. So, you know, everyone loves to say follow the science. So as there's science available that we're able to generate to say you're dumb, then <laughs> we just need to do it. People, I mean, Michael Saylor, Get out there and start thing. funding some of this shit. Um, <laughs> is it's a time thing too. Oh. Benefits of these things take time to yeah. see. Yeah. So that's the problem with like stopping innovation before it's allowed to provide the benefit to society. Right. It's a good point. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things that are happening right now, literally this week, that we can see that would have massive effects on just that point alone. And now it's back to my take with the potential bailout of Silicon Valley Bank and allowing startups to flourish in the United States or not based on that bailout and allowing ideas to flourish in the United States is kind of huge to the United States as yeah. a superpower going forward. How are they going to compete with billions of people in India and China? If the only thing the United States does have is the historic precedent of allowing ideas and innovation to flourish, and we're seeing kind of in a lot of different areas, the backlash against that. Yeah. Both in the rising interest rate environment and a lot of overreach we're seeing, government overreach in a lot of this regulation. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree. And the implications of regulating a market that you might not have any involvement in and don't care about at all could have broader implications to regulation down the road of markets that you are involved. So it's kind of just like, I mean, lawyers can refer to any type of regulatory law that might be passed and use that as precedent for something else. And so I think it's just something that we always have to be aware of why we don't want overregulate. Yes, I agree. I don't have anything else. Yeah, neither do I. Let's wrap it up there. All I think right. that's a good uh, we we bounce place to to wrap up. We bounce all over the fucking place. We do in these episodes. Yeah, we just bounce around. We try and summarize the week, but this one was just a crazy one. It yeah. was just a crazy week in very complicated financial topics. Oh wait, let me sorry. No, let no, me uh, let me send it out with this just to to put in perspective of where we are economically as a populace. I saw this was a tweet. I forget who it was. The U.S. now has a record $16.5 trillion in household debt, a record $11.9 trillion in mortgages, a record $1.6 trillion in auto loans, a record $986 billion in credit card debt. Total mortgage debt is now more than double the 2006 peak. Meanwhile, 36% of Americans have more credit card debt than savings. 
with balances rising at the fastest pace since 1999. This is all while mortgages just hit 7.1% and credit card debt rates hit a record 24.9%. Yeah, that's bad. So we'll see if we're going to get this pivot, if we're going to bail out the banks or bail out the American people or bail out neither. It'll come. Yeah, eventually. But how much pain will be along the way? So Sit comfy in spot and maybe some cash reserves. Self-custody that Bitcoin. Yeah, hold your assets. Yeah, look at uh, custodial risks. All that good stuff. Yeah, let's uh, send this out. All right. I'm Daph. Big burn. Peace.